Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. Today, we are going to talk about waiting. Waiting during the time of Christmas. We're going to talk about waiting. Um, uh, when, when I was growing up, I can remember I was in junior high, there was a name for a particular shoe that I can't remember what it was, but it was like a brown kind of boot, tennis shoe, suede thing, and it was kind of high top, and they were super popular, and it's junior high, so this is the time where, you know, I, I'm wanting to look good, and I want to have all the things, and, you know, whatever, be popular, too. Um, and so I had asked for these Christmas shoe boots, thingies. And so my mother always had us write a Christmas list. I wrote it on my Christmas list. And then every time we were in the mall and we passed a store, I'd be like, oh, there's those shoes, mother, there's those shoes. And every time we're at the grocery store and somebody's walking by, oh, look at those shoes. Like I wanted my mom to know, these are the ones, these are the shoes that I want. And so um, I, I was very, very hopeful, but I was also very impatient. And so um, my parents still don't know this to this day, but they probably will find out this week because of what I'm about to say right now. But um, one day when they, one Saturday when everybody left the house, I went under the tree and I got every single one of my presents and I took the tape off super, super, I was super careful and I unwrapped every single present. Don't cast, gosh. It was a long time ago, and I've been forgiven. Um, I opened every single present, and the shoes were in there. Here's the deal. In my impatience and my unwillingness to wait, I ruined my Christmas. Because there was no, like, shock and awe. There was no surprise to it. And the guilt, oh gosh, the guilt was like, for real. It was for real. And my mother would like hand me these gifts because my mother always played the role of Santa Claus. That's what we call it when you're the, what, the passer outer. And so when we were kids, my mother always played the role of Santa Claus. And she'd be like so excited, like, you know, I can't wait to see her face when she opens this one. And I'd be like, oh, I don't know what's in there. But I would open it. I'd be like, oh, you know, like, oh my gosh, the guilt, the guilt was, was severe. If you're ever tempted to do that, it really stinks. Don't, don't do it. Um, Hey, hey, I wasn't nine. I was in junior high, number one. Number two, adults are tempted to. So, see? See? Thank you. Thank you. So here's the deal. We all have things that we're waiting for. Um, so a couple things to consider that is, 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 what are we waiting for, and how are we waiting? So, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for this Christmas? And it might be a particular gift. It might be wanting to give a particular gift, and you're like tempted to just give it now. Like yesterday, we're, I don't think you know this, but you saw, I think you saw the box. Yesterday, we're off getting our trees, and, um, and when I get back to service, because you know, there's not a lot of service in this county. I'm just saying it's weird. Um, and so we get back to service, and my mother's blowing up my phone. Did you get a box? 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 And I'm like, Mother, I'm in the mountains getting a tree. 
but I will see if I got a box when I, this is me texting, I will see if I got a box when I get home. And so when I got home, there was a box that was sitting inside the kitchen when y'all came over. Um, and so I called her and I said, hey, you know, I got this, I got this box. And I said, no, we're not going to be here on Christmas Day. So can I, can I open it Christmas Eve? She's like, get Joe and open it now. And I go, mom, I can wait. No, get Joe and open it now. Like she couldn't wait. So, so we put her on FaceTime and we opened the box and we, and we had a good old jolly time. It was great. It was, and it was a great gift. It was a great, great gift. Uh, good old jolly time. Jolly you have to use in the Christmas season. You have to find a place to put that in. And so, um, and so maybe you're waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting to give something. Maybe you're waiting for something that has absolutely nothing in the world to do with Christmas, but you've been waiting for it for days or weeks or, or years, possibly, but you're waiting. In the Gospel of Luke, we come across two characters that are actually very important to uh, to the Christmas story, to the historical accounting of the birth of Jesus Christ. And, um, and it's, it's interesting because it's, it's not like, you know, we see these guys when there's a Christmas play, you don't ever really see them. When there's, you know, nativity scene, you don't see them. But they're actually a, a huge part of, of historically what happened. And so I want to share with you some things from these two different individuals. One is a man named Simeon, and another is a woman named Anna. Um, and, and in, the, in the gospel, in the book of Luke, right, um, Luke uses a Greek word to, to define what they're doing. And, and the Greek word of anticipation um, has them waiting for it. It literally means that they are, because they're waiting for the Savior. They're waiting for the Messiah, right? They're waiting for Jesus. And so it literally means that they are alert to his presence, this Greek word, and that they are ready to welcome him. That's, that's what the word means that Luke um, references when he's explaining the way that they are waiting. Um, in Luke 2.25, it says that Simeon was, it was, he was eagerly waiting. And in Luke 2.38, it describes Anna as, as waiting expectantly. So one is eager, like excited, and one is very expectant, expectantly waiting. And so Let's kind of dive into it. This is where your notes start. So get your little pens or get your app going, and here we go. Simeon was waiting for comfort. Simeon was waiting for comfort. We're introduced to Simeon in Luke 2.25, and it says this. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, here's the deal. Things were not going great for uh, the nation of Israel. At this point, um, as a nation, God had been pretty silent. Um, they hadn't had a prophet speaking to them for a very long time. Um, they hadn't heard from God. They, um, they were under Roman rule. They were very oppressed. They had lost completely their political independence. Um, they were living in fear of King Herod, who was a cruel, cruel ruler. He was just horrible. Um, King Herod was not opposed to physical domination of the Israelites, but he also practiced psychological domination. And so let me, let me explain that. Um, 
King Herod had, I, I believe I'm right, I believe I'm right, five different palaces, which, by the way, it's so historically interesting. He built the palaces in such a way that they created an escape route for him to get away from Cleopatra if she started coming at him. He was terrified of Cleopatra. Did you even know they were there at the same time? He was terrified of Cleopatra, and so he built his palaces as an escape route to get away from her if she started coming after him because she was a vicious, vicious woman. And, um, and so the one that he built in uh, Bethlehem was called the Herodium. And so, and so let me explain this. Um, uh, the historian Josephus at the time um, says that the, the final battle where, where Herod is trying to take over the Israelites happened on, on a hill that was just outside of Bethlehem. It almost looked more like a volcano because it was kind of flat on the top. And so, and so what Josephus says is this. He says, Herod built a town on that spot because, because uh, Herod defeated the Israelites there in commemoration of his victory over the Jews that he is now ruling. Talk about rubbing it in their face. Like, I kicked your booty here. I'm going to put myself a palace right here just so you won't forget this is where you got whooped. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. That in itself is psychological. Then he names it after himself. That's just, dang, that's some ego right there. And, and here's the deal. The location of this, of this hill, again, that was kind of flat and now has the Herodium on it, the location of this hill was, was just happened to be positioned uh, um, next to Bethlehem in such a way that when he built his palace, this particular palace, one of five, um, who's oppressing the Jews and taking all their money and they're poor and they can't eat, but hey, five palaces. Okay, that makes sense. So... Um, he builds it three stories high, and then the uh, Tourette's on the corners, the four corners, he builds those six stories high. And he made it tall on top of this mountain, hill, whatever, very intentionally because what happened is the way that it was positioned meant much of the time the Israelites were literally living in his shadow. They were literally living in his shadow. This was psychological warfare at its best. This dude was just, wow, just a piece of work. And so this psychological warfare is, is working because we've, we've, we've got the Israelites. They're under this oppressive rule. They're, um, they're living literally in the shadow of their ruler. They are, they are beaten. They are abused. Their money is taking. Uh, is taken from them, just all the things that are happening. And, and that type of domination, physically and, and mentally and all of the things, is working. Because the Israelite people are at a place where many of them are like, is this Messiah, like, ever going to come? Is this real, you know? Is this, what do we do with this? What do we do with this Messiah? Because... He's not coming. So that part is very interesting to me. Many had given up hope. Many were just too, <laughs> too busy surviving to even like care at that point. You know, it, God's been silent for a long time. You know what? If he didn't want to talk to me, I don't want to talk to him either. So many have just, they just don't care or they've given up hope. 
But Simeon cared. And he had a very good reason to be hanging on to his hope. And that is this. Um, in verse 26, it says this. It says, the Holy Spirit is who we're talking about. It says, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, Simeon, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. How cool would that promise be? Wouldn't that be amazing? And so I'm going to break this down for just a second because I didn't start uh, going to church until I, was in my, until I was 20, and there was all kinds of words that people kept using at church that I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that word means. I don't know what that word means. And so for those of you who've been around for a while and you know what this means, that's great. But let me just break it down for a minute because Messiah was one of those words that I was like, what is that? I don't, I don't know what that is. And so Messiah, Messiah is this. Messiah is a word simply referring, uh, referencing, excuse me, the king, the king, because they thought that, that their Messiah was going to be a king, which is one of the things that led to Jesus being crucified because he wasn't coming in like a king and just dominating and taking over everything. He came, he came in peace. Referencing the king that the Jews believed God had promised them that would come and deliver them from oppression. They were under major oppressive rule um, uh, from the Romans and from King Herod. So Messiah is this. It is the leader or savior of a particular group, one who saves. Savior. Okay. And so here's the words I want you to hear. I want you to pay attention to these because we're going to circle back to these a couple times. He comes to save and bring freedom. So we're all clear now that we're talking about the expectation of the Messiah, who they're, what we're talking about. We're talking about the king coming to bring freedom and to rescue. So Simeon's, um, Simeon's expectation of this Messiah, this coming king, was that he would be the comfort. They would refer to him as the comfort. Like, I refer to Joe in many names according to the roles that he, that he has. I refer to Joe as... <laughs> he said, careful. Hey, man. I refer to Joe as Joe. I refer to Joe as my husband. I refer to Joe as my pastor because he is my pastor. He has different names that I will reference him as. When he's being a dork, I call him Joe Schmo. Um, often. Um, and so I have different names for my husband. The Messiah had different names. Savior, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the Comforter, right? Um, all of these different things. And so Simeon's expectation of this coming Savior was that he was going to bring comfort, comfort among the Jews. Um, and it strikes me, guys, that um, comfort is really a, a universal human need. I think we have all had times where we have needed to be comforted. Would you guys agree with that? We've all had times where we've needed to be comforted. And, and we, are in, we are in a season where the need for comfort really elevates. The Christmas season, for some people, is... Oh, I'm stuck. There we go. Is a very depressing, sad 
heart-wrenching season. And if it's because they're, they're mourning or they're trying to heal from hurt or whatever it might be, suicide rates actually go up during the Christmas season. Like, I'm all about the joy. I love Christmas. But I recognize that there are other individuals who feel very, very opposite than I do. And this season is a, t- is a time of mourning for them. And they need to be comforted. And so on this particular, uh, on this particular day, Jesus is now six weeks old. And it is now customary for him to be taken to the temple. And so scripture says that the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple at that moment on that day. And so Simeon goes to the temple and in walks, um, I almost said Adam and Eve, (laughs) in walks Mary and Joseph and they're carrying the baby and Simeon sees the baby and knows immediately, that's the one. That is him. And so he goes over to Mary. He takes the baby out of her arms. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. You come at me and you take my baby out of my arms. I'm coming at you. I mean, this is, for me, this is a two-hit moment. Me hitting you and you hitting the floor, man. You don't touch that baby. I got a grandbaby coming, and if somebody tried to do that, I would throw down. I would throw down. And I'm scrappy, people. And so, um, and so they, he takes the baby out of their arms, but instead of them freaking out, what happened is he takes the baby out of their arms, and he starts praising out loud in the temple. He starts praising God praising God that the Messiah has come, praising God that his, um, that his promises came about, praising, praising, praising. And in the middle of this praise, it was this confirmation for Joseph and Mary of, oh, wow, this is for real. Because you know the last 10, 11, 12 months for them have been crazy. And there were probably times that they even questioned, am I crazy? Because this is what's happening in our lives right now. This feels crazy. Am I crazy? And here's this confirmation. Simeon takes this baby, starts praising, starts claiming who this baby is. And Joseph and Mary are like, okay, okay. And so it's really, really interesting um, just to see that whole dynamic of how that whole thing came together. But also to know this promise of comfort was in this baby. This promise of comfort came to both the Jews and then within just a a couple of decades, the Gentiles also. Now that's Simeon's story, but we also have Anna's story. And here's what Anna said, or what we know from Anna. Anna wasn't waiting for comfort. Anna was waiting for forgiveness. Not necessarily just for herself, but for the Jewish, Jewish nation as a whole. They had turned their backs on the Lord a long time ago. And so Anna's um, expectation, her anticipation was for forgiveness. The scripture actually tells us that when her, her husband died, that she dedicated herself to fasting and praying in the temple, that she actually, the Bible says that she never left the temple, that she stayed there day and night. Now she was looking for the same person as Simeon, but she was looking for a different promise, right? So, and that would be the forgiveness. And, and, and here's what happened. I think it's really, really interesting because as Simeon is holding this baby and worshiping, right, and praising, it says, 
says this, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Joseph and Mary, or Mary and Joseph. That's cool. Same moment. God has led them both to the exact same moment, which is amazing. And it says, and she began, she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now listen, listen. Joe talked about this in our team rally this morning, and I'm like, oh, I'm adding that to my message. Because I, I want to explain what she was doing. I want to explain when it says that she talked to everyone. I want to explain what she was doing. Mark 4.26 says this. That is not in your outline, but you can write it down. Because I literally just added this two hours ago. Um, two and a half. Says says, Jesus also said, this is one of his parables, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Now listen, listen. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't know how it happens, doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. Here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. God made everything to work according to his will and his purpose, right? And so the way that that seed opens up, the way that it burrows into the ground, the way that the ground receives it, the way that the ground is prepared with the, all the nutrients that that seed is going to need, this is God's design. So it just happens. It says the farmer doesn't know how it happens. He doesn't understand. And it's when he's sleeping or when he's awake. So is he, is he tending to it? No. What is the one thing the farmer had to do? Scatter. So one thing the farmer had to do, scatter. And then, and then the nature of God's plans and purposes falls into place. What was Anna doing? Says that she was telling everyone. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. She's scattering seed. He's here. He's real. It really happened. It's in our lifetime. This is, this is for real, people. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? That's what Anna was doing. That is a lesson learned from Anna. That is our job. Um, years ago, I, and I said it earlier, I don't know if Joe and I were reading a book or an article or something, but there was something about a gentleman who was at the mall at Christmas time. He's Christmas shopping. He's at the mall at Christmas time. And he's standing at um, a window display, and it's the nativity scene. Makes sense. Christmas time, birth of Jesus. His comment is, these Christians got to take over everything. He didn't even know. He didn't even know what the fundamental reason for Christmas was. He didn't know. He's thinking... Christians are taking over everything, and we're thinking, who's Santa? What? I mean, you know, I, it's amazing to me that he didn't know. Why didn't he know? Somebody had not scattered seed to him. Somebody had not scattered seed, and God is real. He is amazing. He is loving. He is forgiving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is our eternity. He is the lover of our soul. God is real. We've got to scatter our seed, people. If there are people in your life who don't know who Jesus is, 
I'm not telling you to go run somebody down and be crazy on them. But, but every now and then to, oh man, you're having a rough time. I'm so, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I believe God's going to help that. Seeds. Do you see it? Simple. Simple. It, by the way, if you chase somebody down with your seeds, they're not going to take them. If I have something to give to you, okay, and I, I was going to try to run, but I'm a little afraid, but I go, and, and I'm trying to get this in your face. What are you going to do? Like, ooh, it doesn't feel safe. But if I have something to give to you, and I go, hey, got a little something for you. And I walk up to you. You're curious. You want to know what it is. You're much more willing to take that from me. Okay? So I'm not saying go out there and be crazy, y'all. But I am saying scatter your seeds. Scatter your seeds because God does the rest. God does the rest. That is a lesson from Anna. Okay. Last point on your outlines is this. Jesus provides what we need. Jesus provides what we need. Um, when Jesus came, he provided the very things that Simeon and Anna were waiting for. He provided comfort. He provided forgiveness. He provides what you need. So I will take you back to the original question, and that is, what are you waiting for this season? What are you hoping for this season? Probably most of you have something that you're waiting for that has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. Whatever it is, Jesus can give it to you. Simeon was confident of that because he had a promise from the Lord. He had a promise from the Lord. And so even as he's getting old, and he was old, I want to say, gosh, does Scripture say he was 85? Does that sound right? That sound right? Yeah, yeah. I love it when people tell me I'm right. Do that some more. Um, he, was, he was getting up there. And so he could be thinking, uh, am I crazy? Did I not hear that promise? Because I'm getting up there. Maybe it's not going to happen. But he held on to the promise, and that gave him hope. And that gave him hope. So what are you waiting for? I will tell you what I'm waiting for. I will tell you the number one thing in my life that I am The number one thing in my life I am waiting for is for my children, who are very far from the Lord, to return to their roots. And here's, here's what I know. I have a promise. I have a promise. It's in Scripture. And it says to me, Raise your children in the way that they should go, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. You know what? I hold on to that promise. I hold on to that promise. It is a promise given. It is a promise believed. If I could not hold on to the hope that's in that promise, I would be going insane with worry and fear and confusion and all of the things, but I hold on to a promise. Now, I have said this to the Lord, because it does say when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And I have said, I get that it says when they grow old, but could I be alive? It would be wonderful if I could be alive and I could see it. So could it be when I grow old? Whatever it is. But come on, Lord, I'm hanging on to that. And so the question is, when you're thinking of the things that you're, that you're waiting for, uh, and let me circle back to what I said a little bit earlier. It's also how you're waiting. How are you waiting? Are you waiting with patience? 
Are you waiting with hope? Or are you waiting with frustration? Because this timing is not working for you. Because God's always going to give you what you need, but he's not always going to give you what you want. I had a friend years ago that had a very severe form of fibromyalgia, and it's kind of when it was a newer thing, and they really weren't, didn't know how to treat it. And so she was, in, she was in bed all the time, in pain all the time. And um, we were at a church service, and there was a time where we invited people to come forward and pray. And she came forward and prayed, and I'm standing on the stage, and I'm holding a microphone, and I looked at her, and I said, and she's just praying there. And I said, Terry. And she looked at me. And I said, God is telling you right now, here's your promise. God is telling you right now, you will be healed. And I said, but he's also saying to you, and I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but it was true. I said, but he's also saying to you, quit asking him when. And she goes, I do that all the time. I said, he says, quit. Just trust. He's given you the promise. Done. And she was healed. I think it was two, three years later. She was healed. So, what are you waiting for? How are you waiting for it? What's the promise in God's word that you can hold on to? What's the promise in God's word that you can hold on to? If you need comfort, give, Jesus can give it to you right now, just like he did Simeon. If you need forgiveness, let me say to you, because some of you, some of you would say, you're not worthy of forgiveness because, and you're thinking, you don't know what I've done. I don't care. I don't care. You are worthy of forgiveness. Not only that, but let me just say to you, not only that, but you were already forgiven. You just have to receive it. That's what scripture tells us. It tells us that on the cross that every sin was placed, was placed on him. Already. All that had happened, all that was yet to come. And when he said it's finished, that didn't mean, oh, you better come begging for forgiveness every time you mess up. That means you go, Lord, I accept your forgiveness. I accept your forgiveness. You've already, you've already forgiven me. I accept it. I accept it. So for those of you who are like, mm, I'm lost cause, no, you're not. No, you're not. There is no such thing. There's no such thing. And the Bible shows us that very clearly when it shows us the people that Jesus chose to use as his disciples and apostles. Shows us very clearly. Some of them were the worst. Of the, Paul was the worst of the worst, y'all. The worst of the worst. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for?